Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, January the 15th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we get a closer look at the new defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, and speculate on some potential changes to both the offensive and defensive schemes for Miami in 2020. And we'll continue the positional capsule previews, looking at edge players and linebackers today. And we'll do some digging around the NFL and quarterback injuries and what they might tell us about Tua Tonga-Vailoa going forward. All of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google, Spotify, however you get your podcast, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL Voted, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have all these written pieces up there for you guys right now, including the latest from Jason Harina on the offensive line. And I have done nothing on this podcast, but praise Josh Boyer for his work to develop undrafted free agents. We know about Malcolm Butler, the obvious one, and his game-winning Super Bowl interception, and everyone always speaks highly of that guy. They also talk about J.C. Jackson, who has quickly become one of the game's top slot cornerbacks under the Patriots' wing as an undrafted free agent. And then we saw what Boyer did this past season with Nick Needham in Miami, and I realized that I never added him to the coaching introductions piece last year that I put up on LockedOnDolphins.com. He must have been a later ad or a later hire or something for me to gloss over it like that. But Boyer began his career as a player, as a receiver and defensive back at Muskin Gun College. He then went on to King's College to be a graduate assistant, and then Dayton as a GA, Kevin Dern's alma mater, and then Kent State as a GA as well before he moved to Bryant College as his first actual coaching job as the defensive backs coach there. And for some fun trivia today, if you know where any of these colleges actually are, the location of them geographically, then you are the winner. Then Boyer makes the jump to the Patriots after one year as the defensive coordinator at South Dakota School of Mines, like landmines. Man, if they trust him with IEDs, then I sure as hell trust him with a too deep cloud coverage. And he was the cornerbacks coach from 2012 to 2018 after moving up from defensive assistant and defensive backs coach. Now he got the distinction of cornerbacks coach instead of just defensive defensive backs coach for the seven years prior to that. But what might his defensive scheme look like now that he's kind of the lackey behind Brian Flores? It might be more Patriots influence because we know that Patrick Graham came from the Green Bay Packers previously and under Brian Flores and Josh Boyer and Bill Belichick, the Patriots run all kinds of three safety packages. It's a very Patriots thing to do with Devin McCourty, Patrick Chung, and Deron Harmon, the three safeties that play the most out of all those guys. We've talked relentlessly on this podcast how all three of those guys play 60% or more of the Patriots' defensive workload, and McCourty is the one that's best at coming down 
and covering up over the slot or just playing press man coverage anywhere across the formation. That to me sounds like Bobby McCain. We've talked about Patrick Chung being kind of the Eric Rowe role for this defense, covering tight ends and backs and giving you C-gap run support. He can also cover in the slot as well. So he does a lot for you in that position. Now, Deron Harmon is not here yet. Xavier McKinney from Alabama, he can do it in the first round. Antoine Winfield, also a first round draft pick, can do anything you ask of him. But I think the two best fits in terms of value you and guys that give you another player that can come down and cover man coverage across the board against receivers and tight ends and running backs are Ashton Davis out of Cal and Julian Blackman out of Utah. I think both those guys will be day two picks and keep your eye on the corner and safety previews coming up tomorrow and Friday here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Justin Simmons is a free agent who would be a great fit, probably top of the market type of safety if you want to go that route and sign him to fill the Duran Harmon role. But I think it stands to reason that the defensive backfield takes on even more of the New England personality because of Patrick Graham coming from a defense that was coached by Mike Pettin, but he too used a lot of defensive backs on the field the way the Patriots did, hence Miami, using 21 defensive backs this season to take a snap. That is double what a lot of teams run with 10 or 11 defensive backs on the field all year long. The Patriots are a secondary-driven team, and they have been that for a while. While they only had two players, both Stephon Gilmore and Devin McCourty, play more than 90% of the defense's snaps this year. Seven players played at least 47%. We're going to call that half for round number purposes. So every other snap, you've got seven defensive backs on the field. I know that's not how math works, but that's what we're going with. And for Miami this year, this is a bit more skewed since we went through more defensive backs than basically what Jerry Rice put into retirement during his career. But late in the year, the Dolphins were doing the same thing with Eric Rowe and Nick Needham and Adrian Colbert all playing 95 plus percent of the reps. Then you had Jamal Wilts or Nate Brooks or Tay Hayes or Montre Hardage. Those guys were playing better than half the snaps, snaps, giving you seven players doing the exact same thing here in Miami, despite the fact that those were all street free agents or undrafted guys to begin with. And just to continue the theme of what Boyer had to work with, let's not forget the names Doug Middleton, Lyndon Stevens, Stephen Parker, Xavier Crawford, Ken Crawley, Johnson Batamosi, Chris Lamont, Ken Webster, Ryan Lewis. I mean, it was absolutely absurd what he had to go through in the defensive backfield. And the fact that they were not the 32 ranked pass defense is really an accomplishment in and of itself. And real quick, before we talk about the linebackers and what Patrick Graham leaves behind, I want to make it clear that I didn't believe that Patrick Graham was a bad coach, and nor did I feel that way about Jerry Shaplinski, quite the opposite rather, so I hope I never insinuated as much, but they are both good coaches and I wish them the best with the Giants, and the optimists will tell you that Brian Flores should be applauded for assembling a coaching staff that got poached after just the first season. And as for the position group that Graham leaves behind, we'll see about Robbie Leonard and the newcomer Austin Clark as the inside and outside linebacker coaches there, but I wonder if Miami might tailor its defense to fit its strengths in this area a little bit. We'll talk about linebackers in the next segment and what group on this team is better or deeper right now than the linebackers in Miami. Jerome Baker, although somewhat miscast, he can play. Raekwon McMillan is very good at very specific things. Beagle is a surefire hit to me. Van Ginkle showed the pop that I thought he had from his college tape. You could be looking at some 3-4 principles, maybe some 2-4 principles, some 3-3 fronts up there as well, where you use these linebackers in the same way you use the safeties, and you play a lot of them in varied roles. So we'll get some different looks on the back end and probably in the front as well. I wonder if Flores takes over play calling duties as it appears that he was more involved late in the season on the headset, but we have all winter, spring, and summer to figure that out. On 
the other side of the football, football, meanwhile, real quick, we've done this in depth already, and I think it bears repeating that we really don't have the breadcrumbs to go back and look at what this offense is going to look like in 2020. Chan Gailey changes his scheme every time he takes a new job. Now, we do know what worked with he and Fitzpatrick with the Jets and with the Bills prior to that to a lesser extent, and I'm sure that plan changes upon whichever rookie they draft, and when the rookie's time eventually comes to be the starter, I think you're going to see an offensive staff that can do anything it damn well pleases and will mold its system week to week to what's available to them on the roster. I think it'll be spread-based, and that's the original, the go-to, if you will, but I think they've gathered some minds that have diverse backgrounds for this reason for the diversity on the staff, and we already have a note that Robbie Brown, the Dolphins' new quarterback's coach, is wearing his Dolphins' garb as he coaches up the QBs at the East-West Shrine game this week in Tampa. Now, I am not some long-time Robbie Brown fan, but I was blown away by his resume upon searching his name. As we said on yesterday's podcast, these guys all have Flores-like backgrounds. They're football coaches. They're teachers. They put themselves into these positions through hard work and climbing up the ladder rung by rung. So I ended again. My ultimate faith in Flores gives me ultimate faith in his ability to shape a coaching staff. I mean, hell, he did it last year to the extent that the Giants thought they needed to poach two of the coaches off of his staff. So why the hell would we assume that Flores can't just do it again and find the replacements? All right, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and get into the edge slash linebacker position for the offseason preview. Tons of content ahead here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Despite many, many disclaimers in both the podcast and the article, I got a lot of consternation back over the positional discrepancies or the distinctions I put out there for the players across the Dolphins' front seven, which is going to be cobbled together in a way that I don't think any of us are used to seeing in terms of defensive positions pretty much going out the window and guys just playing X amount of snaps across various positions as that's what this Dolphins defense under Brian Flores wants to be. And so, as a result, I tried my best to factor in the same types of players from body type and style and builds and all that stuff that goes into what we group players together as as two different entities on the website, edge and linebackers. So you're going to have guys like Jerome Baker, and Chase Young, for instance, in the same class here, whereas the other list, the interior slash bigger, beefier, da- beefier down linemen like Christian Wilkins getting paired up with an AJ Epinesa, those guys go together. So this podcast is about guys that play off the edge, play more linebacker, play more with two-point stances rather than four-point stances up over the nose and on the inside. And that's what makes the Patriots defense so unique and so difficult to replicate because they have two guys in Donta Hightower and Kyle Van Noy who really don't have comparisons across the National Football League, especially Hightower. Van Noy, you can find more guys like him. Jelani Tavai was a player last year out of Hawaii that made a lot of sense. And of course, he winds up with the Detroit Lions and Matt Patricia. But Dante Hightower's ability to play inside and outside and rush and play the run, it's so unique. And if the Dolphins could find a guy like that, it would suit them so very well in this defensive scheme. 
And the Dolphins have done at least a little bit of breadcrumb dropping for us to try to find out what types of players they want at these spots. We know about the interest in Trey Flowers and Jadevian Clowney. We've talked about Yannick Ngakwe on this podcast, and you might mistake him for more of a true pure speed rusher off the edge, which is not what Miami wants, like a Cam Wake, for instance. Those are the kind of guys they'll say goodbye to, but Yannick Ngakwe can play so many positions and never really leave the field, so that's why he's part of this discussion. And we'll talk about the free agency and draft prospects here in just one second. Let's go ahead and start with the incumbents here, though, and start off first with Jerome Baker, who I list as an off-ball linebacker. We thought in the preseason this guy might be much more of a pass-game disruptor in terms of his blitzing skill set and getting into the hook zones in the short areas of the field, and he was on the field almost every snap. In fact, 1,080 snaps was good for 97% of Miami's total workload. He piled up 124 tackles, just one and a half sacks, one pick, two forced fumbles, and only 16 quarters quarterback pressures. He just wasn't that guy and the Dolphins need to find that guy. And does that mean you go away from Jerome Baker? I believe you could probably get a second round draft pick for this guy because he would be a great fit in so many other schemes like Seattle's, for instance, or Jacksonville's or Philadelphia's playing kind of that weak side Leo linebacker. They play in those schemes, but Jerome Baker can fit in this defense. I'm just not quite sure where you have to put him. It wasn't in the role he had this year because pro football focus gave him a 46.1 grade. That was 145 out of 179. At his best, he's a strong leader and communicator. Wore the green dot on defense this year. Great speed, sideline to sideline. Good coverage guy. But I just wonder if maybe this defense is not a fit for Jerome Baker going forward. One guy I think has a very specific role in this defense is Raekwon McMillan, who is listed as the B-gap to B-gap off-ball linebacker and a Sam backer. He played some strong side linebacker this year for the Dolphins. 72 tackles, six quarterback pressures. He was number 61 out of 160. 79 linebackers on pro football focus. He missed some time, played just 516 snaps, good for 46%. And Flores spoke about how you can't make a tackle without first defeating a block, and nobody on this team defeats blocks better than Raekwon McMillan. He's a thumper, a downhill player, and I want to see him get in that exact same role next season, and maybe more health can give him more snaps going forward. Andrew Van Ginkle, an on-ball edge slash six technique and out, which means he's playing on the his hand in the dirt as a six tech defensive end, but nothing else inside of that. Going outwards as a two-point stance linebacker. Only played 197 snaps late in the year. That's good for 17.6%. 11 tackles, one sack, and six quarterback pressures. His PFF grade was 129 out of 182 edge players where they had him classified. But I thought that we saw the same things to encourage you about Andrew Van Ginkle that we saw in both his college tape and in the preseason. We saw him get back into the flats, into the hook zones, recognize route concepts, but also give you some work as an edge rusher, more so as a blitzer who can defeat chips and maybe get that free rush and flatten down the edge. But he also did a lot better holding the point against the run this year, something that I think if he can do next season, he'll be a guy you can't take off the field. So hopefully Van Ginkle comes on strong next year. Sam McGuavin, an off-ball linebacker slash coverage specialist. He played a lot early, a lot less later on. 621 snaps, good for 55.6. He had a 50.6 PFF grade. That's 126 of the 179. 40 tackles, did have three and a half sacks, 23 quarterback pressures on the year. And he was the star of camp, but he just got pancaked after pancake early on in the season. Didn't play up to this level you want in this defense in terms of size and strength. He is undersized, but he got better as the year went along. 
and maybe he can be a sub-package blitzing type of linebacker slash coverage linebacker in the near future, a guy that maybe plays on special teams as well as a backup. Charles Harris, real quick, on ball edge, six tech and out. I think this is going to be the end for Charles Harris. Only picked up .5 sacks this year, was a healthy and active down the stretch. We can move on from this discussion, and I think you can do the same thing with Taco Charlton, who was picked up in week three, played a little bit early on, got a bunch of cleanup sacks, wound up with 19 quarterback pressures, but he too was inactive down the stretch in favor of guys like Zach Sealer, John Jenkins, and the like. So I think that he goes by Will Wayside here in Miami because he did not do enough in that position to earn the right to come back next year as a prominent player. Maybe he gets back in camp and gets cut there, but I don't think he'll be long for this team. And that was evident by his 397 snaps he played, just 35.5% of the total. Avery Moss, kind of the same story here. Flores praised him early on, but I think that kind of fizzled down the stretch. He too was a healthy and active late in the season, and he was responsible for a lot of those big edge runs in terms of his responsibility on that C-gap on the front side of plays. James Crawford played 17 snaps. He's an off-ball line. Linebacker. It's going to be an uphill climb for that guy to make the roster. Futures contracts. I don't know who Jake Carlock is still. That's my bad. I got to do better for you guys. But Terrell Hanks, the New Mexico State product, the linebacker from the Senior Bowl last year, undrafted, a Miami native. I have high hopes for this guy. He is very fast, a little bit too aggressive in terms of hitting after the whistle or maybe pass interferences on coverage on defense, but he can flat out fly and he finds the football. I've got big expectations for Terrell Hanks going forward. Unrestricted free agents, Mike Hole. You can probably say goodbye to him. Restricted free agents, Deion Lacey. I think he comes back as a special teamer only. And Chase Allen, probably say goodbye to him. But the top restricted free agent on this list is Vince Beagle, an on-ball edge, a five-tech and out style of player. He is a restricted free agent. 57 tackles, two and a half sacks, one pick, 34 quarterback pressures to lead the way, despite the fact that he really didn't get cranking until the season got going. 626 snaps, that's 56%. He was the 52nd out of 182 edge players on Pro Football Focus, our best grade here by far. And he is so smart and technically sound. He does a good job against the run, impacting the edge, denting the edge, condensing things down, freeing guys up behind him to make plays. He's good enough in coverage, as evidenced by that pick, but he he played so many positions, the three-point stance as the wide nine defender and a four-point stance as a six technique or a true two-point stance outside linebacker rush position. His versatility makes him a, cover, a coveted player for this Dolphins team. Jamal Davis is an exclusive rights free agent and so is Trent Harris, who I thought had two good games down the stretch to possibly earn some work next season. He had 22 tackles, one and a half sacks, one forced fumble and eight quarterback pressures and did that on just 253 snaps. And I think that he really jives well with what they want to do in terms of rush contain in the scheme. Calvin Munson, also an exclusive rights free agent, a B-gap to B-gap backup type of player to Rayquan McMillan if he can't go. So those are your current linebackers and edge players. And we take a look at the free agent market here. And really because of the expanded nature of this position, there are plenty of guys. And my goodness, there are so many avenues for this football team to improve in this area next season by importing new talent, especially going with the guy, the quote-unquote guy of the free agent market. There's two of them. I could not leave either one of these guys off the list. Yannick Ngakwe and Matthew Judon. Now, Ngakwe is probably going to leave Jacksonville. Looks like he wants out of there. He's going to be 25 years old in March. He's 250 pounds, 33-inch arms, and he's picked up at least eight sacks in each of his four years as a pro. He is the bell of the ball in terms of pass rushers, but don't get it twisted. He can play the run, too. This guy does everything. I think he would be your Trey Flowers type, even though he gives you much 
much more as a pass rusher, maybe not as much as a run defender as Trey Flowers, but working laterally, stunts, twists, games, all that stuff, and Gakwe is your guy. Now, I think Matthew Judon is even better. He's more of an outside linebacker type that can stand up and play that role, but that jives well with our idea to play more 3-3 or 3-4 or 2-4 looks from this linebacker group, and Judon can come in and be your best player in that front seven the minute he signs the contract. 63 quarterback pressures this year, 10 sacks, and 38 run stops. He is a monster. Baltimore would be crazy to let him leave, especially after saying goodbye to Eric Weddle and Zadarius Smith and C.J. Mosley last year. Now, the more reasonable route, and I've talked about this probably every single day on the podcast here for the last couple of weeks, if Kyle Van Noy hits the open market, the Dolphins ought to have a contract offer in his agent's hands before the opening bell rings. He is the key to their front seven, the length, the rush ability, the instant scheme recognition to come in here and be worthy of that contract right away. 60 pressures last year, eight sacks, and 33 run stops on the season. He'll be 30 this summer, but he really hasn't played that much football. His workload only increased the last couple of years in New England, and 2018 was his breakout season, and 2019 was even better. Now, my sleeper, Kyler Fackrell from the Green Bay Packers, this has lost a little bit of steam because of Patrick Graham leaving and the fact that Fackrell had a bad back half of the year, but maybe he's more of your low-end, low-tier free agent signing, who had 10 and a half sacks in 2018, but just one sack this past season as both Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith kind of took his job there in Green Bay. Other notable free agent linebackers and edge players, we'll start with the edge, Everson Griffin, Ezekiel Ansah, Jason Pierre-Paul, Noah Spence, Dante Fowler, and Shaquille Barrett. I don't think Miami will be after any of those guys, to be perfectly frank. As far as more linebacker and stand-up guys, Patrick Nawuso from the Ravens, if they go after Judon, maybe he gets free. Bud Dupree is going to get a huge contract from Pittsburgh or otherwise. Kamalea Correa from the Titans is a good-looking player, and Denny Trevathan's more of a stack linebacker from the Bears. We're going to come back on the other side and wrap up the draft portion of this position, give you a prediction for next year's roster at linebacker and the edge position, and we'll finish it up by talking about quarterback injuries and how they're way more prevalent than you might have thought. Next, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I want to talk for just one moment here about cheating in sports, and it's one of my rivals once again in another sport, baseball. The Astros beat my Mariners last year 18 times out of 19 tries, and they got busted for cheating one time, just once, and they fired their GM, they fired their manager, they docked first and second round picks in each of the next two drafts and fined them $5 million, but the Patriots got caught, what was it, four times now? And they're still there. Just imagine if Robert Kraft and the Patriots had the integrity of the Houston Astros. If only they did, then maybe this would not have happened for the last 20 years or so if it would have been nibbed in the butt after the first Spygate instance. But it was not. And here we are. And speaking of first-class franchises, the Aaron Hernandez documentary is available on Netflix today. I'm going to go ahead and put that one at the top of the queue. But enough about the unblemished New England Patriots franchise. Let's talk about Miami's front seven and finish up our last segment here, the draft of edge and linebacker type players. And who else would the guy be other than Isaiah Simmons? We all know how much I love him by now. Plays every damn position, and I'm not exaggerating that. He pretty much plays everywhere besides defensive tackle. We saw him rush off the left tackle last night and win 
multiple times as a pass rusher, cover the slot, cover the deep third as a drop back safety. He does everything on that defense. He is a top five pick in this league. And if he's not, the NFL messed up. The more reasonable route, another player that played in that game on Monday night, Kalevon Chason. If he survives to the 18th pick, which I do not think will happen, you got to consider running up to the commissioner's table and handing the card in. An athletic marvel with length, strength, versatility. He's thick, has a filled out frame. It allows him to absorb contact, but his quick twitch also allows him to blow past blockers, can hold the point, can win with speed, win with power, has relentless motor and chase down ability. The retrace on the very first play of the game in the national championship was awesome to watch. This dude flat out balls and would be a great fit for Miami to be a stand-up linebacker in some of their odd fronts and a down lineman in their even fronts. The sleeper and Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network had this player to Miami in the first round, Zach Bond from Wisconsin. I also have another guy here, Malik Harrison from Ohio State, because if the Dolphins strike out on Judon, Van Noy, and Fackrell, then they might have to go the route of the Wisconsin linebacker like they have in Beagle and Van Ginkle and bring in Zach Bond. He fits the exact same thing, especially adept at executing games, stunts, twists, and slants because of his lateral agility. He's very, very smart. Not the most fluid edge rusher, and he's super effective defending the pass as a flat and hook zone dropper, and his rush move arsenal is already refined like that of a season pro. As far as Harrison goes, few guys beat blocks better than he does. He can sift through the traffic. He's athletic enough to hit you, and he will certainly explode through his tackles. Instinctive, quick enough to cut off the edge and funnel plays back on the inside. He's not on par with the other guys we talk about in coverage, hence the drop and draft stock outside of the first round, but he would instantly improve Miami's linebacker room next year. My linebacker slash edge draft rankings for 2020. My number one player overall this year is Isaiah Simmons. Number two behind him is Chase Young. Three is Caleb on Chason. I've got Terrell Lewis from Alabama. Kenneth Murray at Oklahoma checks in at number five, just ahead of Malik Harrison at six. Zach Bonds, number seven. Anthony Jennings is number eight. Khalid Kareem, Notre Dame's edge and Kevin Dern's favorite player. He's number nine. Julian Aquara, his teammate, number 10. Jonathan Grenard from Florida, number 11. Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte, 12. And we round out with Joshua Uche, Alton Robinson, and Jabari Zaninga from Michigan, Syracuse, and Florida, respectively. So at the risk of sounding redundant, what happens with Jerome Baker? That'll be the key domino to fall here. You can add players all over this front seven. We did Shaq Lawson and Bradley Anai on yesterday's podcast. Maybe you come back here and wind up with a couple more veterans and rookie draft picks. And so my edge slash linebacker prediction for next season in an order of snap counts taken. Number one, Kyle Van Noy. Number two, Jerome Baker. Number three, Vince Beagle. Number four, Raekwon McMillan. Number five, Andrew Van Ginkle. Number six, a rookie, Joshua Uche. Seven, Sam Aguavin. And eight, Trent Harris. I know there's probably more of a request for more players in that position group. And trust me, I'm all about getting a Matt Judon or a Yannick Ngakwe or a Isaiah Simmons. We'll just see what happens. I think the priority gets put in the secondary, which we'll talk about on tomorrow and Friday's podcast. But there is one more bridge I want to cross here on today's podcast and finish up this show by observing some other quarterbacks across the league. And it generated from a graphic that people love to use to disregard Tua Tungavailoa as a viable option at the NFL level. And on that list is a broken finger he suffered in March when his hand hit a helmet in spring practice. Another one is an injured quadriceps muscle, which didn't force him to miss a game. In fact, he never missed a game until this year of his college career. And he went out with that quadriceps injury 
injury and produce just like he always did. So it blows my mind that those two are held against him, those two injuries. And we can even talk about the ankle sprains here, I guess. Those were elective surgeries that will make him stronger in the end. And the only one true injury was that freak fluke hip injury, which only occurs in car accidents most of the time. Now, of course, that is a concern. I won't say it's not, but the good news is that, and I forget where I read this, so my apologies, I saw the injury being compared to Dennis Pitta's, who had to retire because of complications with his own hip injury, but it's been reported that Tua had a different type of injury and one that will not put him at further risk for future dislocations more so than any other player in the National Football League. And I guess I get that there are people using these injuries to further their agenda that he was never an NFL quarterback, which is an absurd take that you'll only make to gather attention from being a contrarian. I mean, it doesn't take more than one or two of his games to see how special of a football player he is. But I just want the scoreboard to be even when we start, so don't add those finger and quad injuries that meant absolutely nothing unless you want to play that same game and use every single Tom Brady injury from his appearance on the injury report because that list would be SpongeBob scroll meme long. Tom Brady has been on every report of the Patriots for the last like 15 years. And what about the quarterbacks missing time in the NFL right now? Patrick Mahomes missed games this year. Carson Wentz has missed games each of the last three years. And Ben Roethlisberger missed almost the entire season. And he too misses games basically every single year. Would you not have wanted the career of Big Ben for 15 years here in Miami? I would. Kyler Murray was limited by a hamstring injury late in the year, which by the way, how many games did he miss for, quote, getting squashed like a bug, end quote, like I read he would on Twitter so many times. He won't last two games. He won't last three games. Whatever the arbitrary cutoff to fit your agenda was, you were wrong. He played 16 games this year. Aaron Rodgers has missed stretches of games in his career with injuries here and there. Does the broken collarbone in 2017 diminish his standing right now as one of the final four quarterbacks remaining? Our own guy, Ryan Tannen, Hill also in the championship round this weekend had two years of horrendous injury luck that caused him to miss 21 games and that was after starting 70 something straight games to begin his career and now look at him he's back to an MVP caliber season Jimmy Garoppolo missed most of the year last season and he's back now also in the championship round in fact of the four guys in the championship round this weekend, if you count their possible games as starting quarterbacks the last three seasons, there's 159 games among those four, and those four guys have missed 45 of those games, 28.3% missed game percentage for all four of the championship round quarterbacks. Hell, Andrew Luck, keep going back here. He missed a whole heap of games in his career. And if you want to attach it even closer to your heart, Dan Marino missed games in his career, especially in the 90s. So unless you're lucky to get a freak like Russell Wilson or Brett Favre, your quarterback is going to miss games. And maybe, just maybe, Tua is getting his injuries out of the way in college. All right, that is going to be my time on this loaded Wednesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.